Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. My voice just cracked as I Baltimore Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It's like a uh, aggressively white, high pitched Ray Lewis uh, doing the Baltimore thing, but. Uh, yeah, here we are. It's Thursday, May 21st. Uh, we are coming to you a little bit later than we were expecting to be recording. We wanted to have this episode recorded Tuesday night out Wednesday. A uh, little bit of a tough scenario rose up in the Casa de Luke with a little bit of a uh, pipe burst. Uh, some renovations being done around the house. A lot of just noise and chaos going on right now. So it's been kind of tough to uh, clear out a time and uh, appropriate space to go ahead and do this. But I have done so. And here we are, bud. We are here. Sorry to hear about the pipe burst. Glad it is getting resolved. A shitty situation during the quarantine. Uh, But yeah, here we are. And we are, I believe, about 10 weeks out from NFL football, hopefully, in some capacity. And hopefully training camp is able to resume and maybe media will be able to go something of the sort. So we will be represented there if so. Uh, But yeah, we are doing our best to bring you the content and keep some kind of throwback Ravens talk going in the spirit of the last couple episodes we've done more or less. And I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So this throwback type episode that we're going to be doing is underappreciated guys, underappreciated Ravens, you know, whether that be players, execs. I mainly stuck to players. I don't know exactly what your strategy was on this one, but there is a of course, a lot of routes that you can go towards that. But, uh, I mean, before we jump in, what's been going on? We haven't talked in uh, a little while. Uh, obviously, we wanted to get this recorded a little bit earlier. Uh, what's been going on, man? Nothing much. I applied for a scouting position at uh, SIS, Sports Info Solutions, provide stats and pro football reference and all that good stuff for a video scouting position to add to my resume. They had me take a football test, quote-unquote, which consisted of giving me four plays to describe like the blocking scheme of one, the offensive and defensive play calls of one of them was like LSU Clemson in the national championship. One where Joe Burrow almost threw a pick. Uh, another one was like Cowboys Eagles, the Cowboys running a duo concept and then like Florida Auburn and uh, fourth play. I can't recall off the top of my head, but sent that in. Uh, I passed that part of it. They had me take, what they called an aptitude test, but literally was the wonder. Like it was 50 questions in 15 minutes. Um, I answered 45 of them. I didn't get to all 50, which I feel like was a bad thing. But yeah, hopefully I get that position and keep adding to my resume. Sounds like it would be a lot of fun. They're located out of Lehigh Valley. Uh, so would be a fun experience to add on to my football resume. Yeah, that's cool, man. I see PFF put out uh, those type of positions. Sometimes you mentioned that uh, they supply data for PFF. PFF also relies heavily on like a scouting network that they have going around the country. I think I applied and got through to one of the stages a couple years back. Um, I was still kind of relatively green with the whole tape watching thing. So maybe next time something like that comes up, 
uh, I'd, you know, jump in on that because we are trying to make this full-time things to some capacity. So, you know, might be a good thing for me to do, but yeah, but I hope you get that. Sounds like a very cool little situation there. Um, anything else? Just kind of doing that, still working, you know? Still working, doing the normal grind and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm ready for this quarantine situation to be over. I'm supposed to be headed to Ocean City this weekend to do the typical Memorial Day shenanigans, but unfortunately, you know, that's not going to be what it typically is, but hopefully able to still have some fun and get around and do some stuff. So I'm sure it'll be fun in some capacity, but you know. So you are going down or are you staying up here? Going to Ocean City. Okay. Uh, have an Airbnb there and a couple friends down there and stuff. I think that their all their carry out stuff is open. We are able to go on the beach. That's allowed if you practice social distancing. So right. trying to get my vampire ass toasty a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, it's obviously a yearly tradition for me too. And like having gone to school right around there, I still have friends like, you know, down living in Ocean City or like West Ocean City. And, you know, it's, it's always a fun yearly tradition getting down there for Memorial Day. Sad I'm not going to be doing this here. I'm probably just going to hang up around here, maybe go downtown to a buddy's little barbecue that he's planning. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of did that same thing last weekend with the same, you know, group of four or so people. So don't want to rush out of this quarantine thing too quickly because it looks like the numbers bear out that uh, it's sort of doing its job and we're kind of containing it. Uh, Hopefully we don't rush out of it too quick. But uh, I mean, you know, that's a larger macro conversation we don't necessarily need to have right now. So who who are you driving down with? Is it just the franchise or who else? Yep, just us. And uh, then... I got a couple of buddies that are down there already. So podcast we'll re- podcast recommendation for your your drive down. You want one? Sure. It's called Wind of Change. You want to know oh. what it's about? What's it about? So you know the band the Scorpions. Yeah. So they have a song called Wind of Change. Uh, they mm-hmm. came out in 1990, right around when the Berlin Wall fell down. And basically, this whole podcast is uh, this guy who does it. Uh, it's like Crooked Media. Um, the guys who do Pod Save America and all that, they like produce it at least and like. It's like this journalist who like 10 years ago or so was fed this rumor by somebody that he knew in the CIA uh, or knew somebody who knew somebody that was in the CIA that said that the CIA wrote Wind of Change and distributed it through the Scorpions to help facilitate like the Soviet citizens coming around to the idea of like democracy. Wow, that's quite up my alley controversy wise you would love it dude it's fucking incredible i like started listening to it this morning uh trying to take my mind off of all the shit that's been going on around here and uh very helpful i have not been able to stop listening to it that sounds awesome definitely we'll check out definitely um yeah i mean any raven stuff that we got to get into before we uh keep things rolling here not really a whole lot of news we had miles boykin's little facebook live thing going on today did you tune into that at all no i did not see that Gotcha. I think he was talking to Cassie, who does some of the Ravens um, social media type stuff. Uh, She's obviously does a great job. So she was talking to him, you know, he's talking about some generic stuff like becoming a more just explosive dominant receiver. Some of the stuff that he is doing in his training to help achieve that goal. Uh, He had a little video going on catching passes from a jugs machine. Was it? I didn't really get to see that. Yeah, uh, I think Hollywood challenged like the whole receiver group, the receiving core to try and catch a jugs ball that they put in themselves just as a fun little viral thing and him and justice hill both did it uh justice hill actually did it in slides and like nike slides but yeah i i definitely would love to see boykin uh he, he's just such an interesting player to me because of how physical he is as a blocker and when you go back and watch him at notre dame like he would come in a split motion and, and they would use him as a crack blocker and he would wipe defensive ends out, and he has been able to. I mean, uh, Lamar Jackson had a really long run against the Texans. Gus Edwards had a really long run against the Texans too, and Boykin will just pin a cornerback down into the corner on the sideline, and they can't get off. Ultra physical as a blocker, but then as a receiver, he's super finesse, and I like that he has the ability to play that way and play finesse and flash the hands late and and really sink his hips and and be agile and stuff, but. I would just like to see a little bit more hand fighting, a little bit more push off, um, just just being more physical, uh, explosive, aggressive, going up and getting balls, jumping, high pointing, um, just my ball mentality, being a rebounder, all that kind of stuff a little bit more. I feel like he plays the ball in the air like he's like, you know, this five foot ten speedster, like he's basically Marquise Brown or something. Um, And I see Marquise Brown go up and get some balls, you know, against Pittsburgh. He climbed the ladder and took a hit in the back and scored a touchdown in that week 
five matchup, week four, week five matchup. Uh, so I, w- I would just like to see him become more aggressive that way. And I believe that if he's able to do so, he has a huge, huge, huge second year ahead of him. But as far as the depth chart goes, I mean, he's the guy at X. He's the you know weak side lone ranger that can run coverage off. And they're going to be able to run a lot of concepts run-wise behind him because he's such a strong blocker. I mean, I would definitely say he's, you know, Willie Sneed's a hell of a blocker, but Boykin is just bigger, longer, stronger, uh, and has great technique. So he was able to do that as a rookie, which is something that, you know, you don't always see in rookies. Sometimes it takes a couple years for them to really hone in their skills as a blocker. Um, So he's great at that, and I would love to see him take the next step. He, you know, we've talked about and broken down a good bit that he gets open and like to see more targets go his way and him be the first read a couple more times. Uh, And if they're able to unlock the potential that he has, I mean, the combine, he was legitimately, this is not an exaggeration. One of the greatest athletes ever at the NFL combine, Uh, his agile, his agility numbers, his speed to size numbers, explosion, all that stuff was just through the roof. One of the best combine athletes ever. So they just need to continue trying to unlock that. And, And that's a little bit scary because the Ravens have struggled to, do that at times to unlock potential and fill potential with receivers that don't, you know, come in ready to go like Torrey Smith or Marquise Brown to an extent. So we'll see what, you know, Cully and the boys are able to do. Yeah, we have been talking about it too, you know, a lot with him. So we don't necessarily have to belabor it. I would just ask how optimistic are you that that sort of dog tend to, like dog mentality, like my ball type of mentality is something that can be instilled into you as opposed to that being like an innate playing style thing. I think that I saw it at Notre Dame a lot. I mean, he has that uh, kind of legendary bowl game against LSU where he, like, one-handed mosses Greedy Williams and then stiff-arms the shit out of a safety. I think it was maybe Delpit into the ground. No, it wasn't Delpit, excuse me. It was their other safety, I think, that had dreads. Uh, but he he had a lot of my ball mentality plays at Notre Dame. Um, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, when you look at the way that Lamar Jackson throws the ball to Mark Andrews or Hollywood Brown, you see the... You know, you see the four-seam fastball, you see the change-up, you see, you know, the touch over top as well as the bullets and the confidence, and it just didn't feel like it was there as far as Boykin and him being on the same page. And if Boykin goes through the whole camp kind of knowing he's going to be slotted into that X role for the most part, and Jackson recognizes that and recognizes they're going to be on the field together, and then playing with Andrews and Hollywood, who I really feel like do have that my-ball mentality for the most part, I think it'll certainly rub off. And me and you saw it with our own eyes at camp. He had that mentality in practice. Uh, and, and sometimes you hear about guys who just really tear it up in practice and then when the lights come on. They're not quite the same. He did show out in the preseason games, but we didn't see a ton of those, you know, my ball plays from him. Uh, didn't have a ton of opportunities in the regular season, but, you know, looked a little bit off at times, looked, you know, some bad reads and things like that. Maybe, you know, not being on the same page. And if, I mean, famously Joe Flacco apparently met Steve Smith senior for the first time in person, you know, after Steve Smith signed with the Ravens, and Steve Smith walked up and was like, hey, what's up, man? I'm really excited. You know, blah, 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 blah. Joe Flacco said, that's awesome. I'm really excited to have you. But if you don't run the right route, I'm not throwing you the fucking ball. And I love that. I love that he said that. That was uh, what is it? Jerry Sandusky said that that story uh, a couple wild. years ago. That's wild, man. I never heard that. Yeah. He was like, if you don't run the right route, I'm not throwing you the fucking ball. He yeah. And like, then, I mean, their relationship essentially evolved so much to the point that you know, a year and a half later or whatever, he's literally like they're in tears holding each other after Smith like tore his Achilles. So I guess that worked out okay. Oh yeah. And you know, I think Steve Smith probably loved that. He was probably like, hell yeah. Um, and he's and like, I, if, I you, if you don't get me the ball, then I'm going to punch you in the face. So exactly. exactly. Just a couple alphas like lock and horns. I love it. Right. And I want that mentality. I want that kind of pressure for greatness. Um, you know, we just watched all of the last dance. I don't know. I I think I missed one or two episodes, but I, I watched the final four in the first like four. at least. I want to say I watched the first half and then I didn't finish it. So I'm going to go ahead and probably binge that at some point soon. But yeah, it was uh, those first couple episodes are awesome. Yeah. And it's just Michael Jordan, you know, pushing guys, you know, being in people's faces, trying to put the pressure on them in practice. Um, and, and I think that Lamar Jackson is going to grow into that role a little bit. And and he kind of has, I don't want to call them childish, but he has some outbursts on himself at times, never with teammates, really. Uh, there was one delay of game, I recall, 
I can't remember which game it was, but I recall Jackson getting really infuriated that the ball didn't get snapped and kind of spiking the yeah, ball. Yeah, when he ground. like pounded or whatever. A lot of interesting limb gyrations with him when he's uh, upset. A lot of arm stuff. That flailing. I'm- yeah, a lot of flailing. But he ran up and, and grabbed the center, and you saw him immediately say to the center, and, and the way teammates speak of him, it seems like that. But, you know, hopefully he's going to hold receivers accountable to a degree, and, and that competitiveness will rub off. And for what it's worth, I mean, Miles Boykin and Scott Burrell, who was basically Michael Jordan's whipping post as a teammate, look identical. They could be twin brothers when Scott Burrell was around Boykin's age. Like, they look exactly the same. Um, So maybe go turn it up on him, make him bring out the alpha, and let's see if we can get him to start mossing people. Because if he is able to be a solid wide receiver too, and I wasn't so keen on the idea of Hollywood as a one, until I really read that Bleacher Report article and the way that they were talking about him and the way that Lamar was talking about him and uh, some of the comparisons that were being made and stuff, but that can be an awesome combo. And they've got Duvernay and Prochet and Sneed running around the slot. Andrews obviously is basically a giant wide receiver, so they have potential to have this be the best you know receiving core that the Ravens have had since those Anquan Bolden, Jacoby Jones, Torrey Smith, Dennis Pitta days. Yeah, I mean, to me, wide receiver ones are like pornography. You know it when you see it. So watching Hollywood even just a couple weeks in, I was like, this guy definitely can do it. He's just got to stay healthy, maybe bulk up a little bit. And he's just been bulking up like an intense amount this offseason, kind of like Antonio Brown, his cousin used to do back in the day. So I think, uh, yeah, I I do like the idea of him stepping up and kind of being the number one guy for Lamar. And then Boykin just sort of bringing a little bit of a different flavor and uh, just keep improving, man. I I like the idea of them being a nice uh, sort of, uh, you know, kind of foil to one another as a duo. Uh, so yeah, I like that that you know whole situation a lot. I like Miles Boykin, big fan. Hope he uh, makes that next leap. Uh, just looking through a couple more news pieces. Ravens announced that they are one of the teams that are not going to be reopening immediately with some of the protocol that has been rolled out by the NFL. Yeah, I don't think you know when you see that you think like oh the players aren't the, the players aren't going to be there right now. They don't have any reason to be. I mean. Guys who are rehabbing, maybe Skura would like to be in there. Um, but I'm sure he's, you know, it seems like he's pretty much back into lifting shape and stuff. Um, that's just the person, that's just the actual executives and personnel that work in that building coming in and getting back to speed. And I think that they're smart enough to understand how to operate remotely and, and be efficient and, and have been on that level. They've embraced technology, all that good stuff for years. Um, I'm sure that Mr. Biscotti, who has spent an exuberant amount of money on that facility, would love to have them in there because he has turned that place into truly, quote unquote, the castle. Quick side note, he is already also uh, committed to paying um, stadium workers, uh, you know, wages in the event, even in the event that they're not going to be working at the stadium this fall. He also has made multiple uh, seven figure donations to charitable causes so definitely has been very avidly contributing to try and make sure that he can spread the wealth and do whatever he can so big round of applause admiration to the ravens owner mr steven biscotti for rolling out the dough and guaranteeing those workers that salary and making sure everyone's comfortable and that things are handled appropriately and you know can't have anything but admiration for people that handle business that way yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, with the way that some other NFL owners have maybe handled things in recent years, it uh, has just made me more and more thankful that Bashadi is the guy at the top for them. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those weird situations where you do want to see them play as safe as possible. If guys want to get in there, maybe that's their prerogative and you let them do it at some point. But, you know, there's no need for them to be there now anyway. So uh, it kind of is what it is. Uh, we also had uh, Mayor Jack Young say that pretty much every activity uh, that was scheduled for Baltimore is going to be canceled through like August 31st. doesn't really seem like that's going to materially affect the Ravens or, you know, kind of stop them from playing any games or anything like that. It may affect fan attendance. Um, I mean, I was kind of already under the assumption that fan attendance was going to be affected anyway, but this does seem like a sort of concrete stamp that things are still going to be a little weird for a while. Yeah, it might not end up affect, affecting them ultimately if things kind of die down. It just might deter kind of concerts and more other things. But perhaps, you know, that's the deadline in preseason. Doesn't have booming attendance, but there's definitely, you know, some asses and some seats there. 
But yeah, hopefully they're able to kind of get back up into norm. And uh, I would think that events like football games like that, as well as, you know, kids returning to public schools and things like that are going to be in question into the fall. So it's really just going to depend how the next couple of summer months go and see how much progress there is, if there's a foothold on this virus and uh, exactly what's going on. But I pray every day that football is able to resume on a normal schedule. It truly appears like training camp is going to be fine for the players and the NFL is reportedly experimenting with N95 masks in helmets, something I've seen a couple of times reported. I don't love the idea of that. I think that's a little obtuse. Uh, If you do it, like if it if it's cool, it's gonna be the coolest thing ever. If it's lame, it's gonna be the lamest thing ever. I just don't. I, I would pass out if you made me wear a mask while I was in the sun in the summer. I well, the thing is, fit. nobody cared about you until you put on the mask. So it's also true. Yeah, I was I was born in the darkness. Yes, yes this is our plan. Um, but yeah, they better hope that place is rocking and ready to go because. The Kings of the North are back because Big Ben shaved his beard. Big Ben did shave his beard. He looks good. Uh, I think he's you know ready to go. Give it that one last uh, one last hurrah if that elbow's up to par. Um, I don't imagine it. I don't imagine the surgery affecting anything a crazy amount. Just other than the fact that it might go out again. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm very interested to see the Steelers. I think Eric Ebron was a quietly good addition for them. Uh, I'm interested by what that team's going to become. I saw some ludicrous conversation on Twitter. I can't directly quote it, but it was something along the lines of for fantasy that Mason Rudolph is basically this year's Lamar Jackson. Oh, I just saw that. Yeah. That was, I was sick. Like, I was like, what are you? T-? I think it was just for fantasy purposes. It was. Well, it was a Steelers fan saying it, but I was like, damn, I like this. I, it was so confusing. Lamar Jackson scores like 13 points a game with the ball and it, like running the ball. So I'm not sure you can compare Mason Rudolph, who let's say he has a good fantasy year halfway through the year, whatever. It's not going to average more than like 17 fantasy points a game. It's the most asinine comparison I've ever seen. Uh, but fans, anyway. fans are the best, man. I just love fans. That myself yeah. included. Like I'm not above that stuff sometimes. Browns fans and Steelers fans are literally a national treasure, and specifically Browns fans. They are just from a different world mentally. I don't know what what's in the water up there. I mean, uh, but, talking about the Dark Knight Rises, they've been in living in that well since Bernie Kosar just got scattered to the wind, and uh, you know their franchise came here basically. And we don't hear quite the, there hasn't been quite the whirlwind, you know, obviously the Odell Beckham trade last year brought so much attention to the Browns. Um, we don't hear as much and they have had an amazing off season. I think Grant Delpit is going to do fine things there. He's got crazy good range guy that I loved is a potential, maybe first round pick for the Ravens, depending on how the board fell. Wills seems like for all intents and purposes, a solid, you know, tackle guard. And Conklin has been nothing but sturdy for Tennessee. They bring in Austin Hooper. They finally seem to have, a competent NFL caliber coach maybe uh, that had a really kind of simple offense in Minnesota with 12 personnel inside and outside zone concepts, a lot of play action. Um, I find Baker Mayfield and Kirk Cousins to be pretty similar quarterbacks uh, skill wise, as far as their intangibles and, and just physical skill. So I think Baker could definitely do a lot better than he did in Freddie. The kitchen's way too hot for me as a head coach kitchens um so yeah you absolutely crush that Woo! but we'll see i'm excited i'm excited and then the bengals fans no bengals fan has ever rubbed me the wrong way not once nothing nothing wrong with bengals fans to me yeah i agree i think uh they're a fan base that weirdly like they've had some success this century like actually a decent bit of it especially regular season wise um but they're just kind of well aware of the fact that you know, the whole playoff thing is just a complete joke and they're kind of able to treat it that way. But yeah, I mean, even interactions with uh, Anthony over at Cincy Jungle, who does the podcast for them, very nice, uh, well-informed guy, um, always courteous to have me on and uh, come on to our show whenever we need a little bit of a, uh, you know, Bengals opinion. And they're just kind of all well aware that Mike Brown is a little bit of a, uh, you know, a clown, Mike Clown, we'll call him. He is a cheapskate for sure. But yeah, I mean, I'm very curious also to see what Zach, I mean, Zach Taylor, you have to assume he got his guy in Burrow. 
Uh, they're going to get Jonah Williams back. They could potentially sign Larry Walford. They have some a few pieces on defense. They got, I mean, Logan Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither, two very athletic, smart, sound-tackling linebackers they bring in. Uh, T. Higgins. I mean, Burrow was thriving in that five-wide stuff at LSU. Bengals suddenly have Higgins, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Auden Tate, John Ross. Um, yeah, so we'll see what that ends up being. I mean, that doesn't – they don't feel like a 2-14 and 14 team to me anymore. They feel like a 5-11, and 6-10 and 10 team. Uh, so decently competitive, maybe a seven and nine if they can shock the world a little bit. I was bit. gonna say maybe even a little bit better. I mean, if Burrow is just as bang up as people think he could maybe be off the start, and that offensive line maybe holds up, they've got the skill players, uh, you know, in position there. Right. So we'll get to see what Zach Taylor really has in year two a little bit uh, before he's kind of probably put on the shitter, get off the pot, or uh, whatever, however you want to call it in year three. So this is his last little ramp up year before scrutiny might lay in in year three. So curious to see how the Bengals pan out. This is going to be a very interesting division. Feels like one of the top divisions in football, probably. Um, the Browns, you know, had a decent start to the season, just ended up being outclassed by a lot of teams later on. The Patriots absolutely ransacked them. The Titans in week one did f- truly just dismantle them. Uh, so curious, curious to see how the AFC North plays out this year if things return to normal. And I'm excited for it. Yeah, for sure. It should be a uh, competitive fun. I think Steelers and Browns definitely have potential to push for that wild card spot. Uh, and yeah, like I mentioned, the Bengals could definitely, I mean, they're probably almost certainly going to improve from the record last year. So should be pretty competitive in that respect. But uh, I suppose that is all we have to cover today. If you want to get into the main subject, let's do it. All right. So main subject for today Kind of similar to uh, some of the other stuff that we've been doing, kind of looking back into the past. In this case, we are looking back at uh, underappreciated figures in the Ravens organization. Yeah, so for me, it's a lot of offensive linemen, which is probably just like on brand a little bit because they don't get a ton of uh, recognition typically. And I feel like that's one thing where kind of the PFF has brought offensive linemen into glory a little bit and starting to recognize the really good ones and the really bad ones. Um, and give them a little bit more act as we did did just see Marshall Yanda was their highest graded run defend run blocker and pass blocker of the 2010s um, things like that and I really appreciate them being able to bring out some of those things so I think that's definitely one of the upsides of kind of the analytics community becoming more prevalent in the mainstream media so that the was lame exciting media. for me yeah the mainstream media baby the, the lame media <laughs> so for me, the three guys who come to mind offensive line wise, um, the first one is Matt Burke, who <laughs> anchored had a little bit of a situation on Twitter today with him, but we don't have to get into that. Really? Uh, yeah, he, he went he went he, he went a little, uh, you know, macro viral with uh, some takes on, you know, Noah's Ark and the Titanic. It was just it's wild, man. Oh, I thought you meant with you. Oh, no, no. I wouldn't interact with him like, on something like that. I was like, like how did I miss that? Matt Burke? Well, this is very interesting. I'm going to have to look at that. I mean, he's always kind of been a little off the reservation with some of that stuff, you know, kind of off the field. But I, I never really judge guys for that kind of stuff unless they're super egregious. Uh, but, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit of a weird tweet today. I, I don't even know if I fully oh, got it. As we listen to epidemiologists, a word I struggle to say, epidemiologists, epidemiologists, can't say that one. It's good to remember that the Titanic was built by experts, the Ark by amateurs. Sheesh. Makes you you think. There is a difference between risk and gamble. Society says don't take risks but you absolutely should. Otherwise, you will live a life of regret. 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 Quiet. Will hunt live a rabbits. life of regret. <laughs> My biggest regret is that I never got that goddamn wabbit. Did he? Did he? Uh, you ever see that Family Guy of- skit of when he does uh, catch the rabbit, Elmer Fudd? I don't recall that one. Uh, it's it's kind of graphic. I mean, it's a cartoon, so it's not terrible, but it, it is like hilariously graphic and like not appropriate. Him just like ripping Bugs Bunny apart. Yeah, he just like shoots it and like wounds it and he breaks the net. It's yeah, we don't have to get into it. 
I'll, I'll text it to you. It's it's incredible. I can't remember that one. I can't remember that one. There's the classic one of Peter fighting Big Bird, or that not even Big Bird. Oh, the chicken. Big, yeah, the yellow chicken. That's yeah. my all-time favorite Family Guy scene. Yeah, it's an awesome one. So Matt Burke retweeted himself and said, "Lots of folks triggered about this quote-unquote cute little tweet aimed at getting a few laughs. They say the arc never happened." Neither did the predictions of millions of COVID deaths by the scientific experts. Hmm. Wonder why millions of deaths didn't happen. Maybe that's because the country got closed down. But we won't get into that too much. Uh, That's crazy. Anyway, Matt Burke as a football player. Awesome, awesome, awesome center. I was thrilled when the Ravens were able to steal him. Uh, They had Jason Brown at one point playing center, I think, right before him. And he ended up leaving. Uh, I think Jason Brown was like a fourth-round pick by the Ravens and ended up being a really good center. I think he was like the top kind of interior offensive lineman on the market. The year that he left Baltimore ends up going to the then St. Louis Rams. Uh, Burke comes in, plays four years, 16 games apiece. kind of provided, you know, that, that what we've seen from Marshall Yonda the, the last couple of years, you know, the, the definite back nine of his career uh, looking to get a ring, but provided some wisdom definitely was a rock solid anchor in the middle of that line, a very mobile, very smart player, had a lot of good years in Minnesota. And I think that that offensive line that year coming together, when it did with uh, Bryant McKinney finally being put into the starting rotation after reportedly being in Harbaugh's doghouse for whatever reason for the entire regular season, he comes in at the last minute. And that offensive line kicked ass in those playoffs, which – uh, if, if you let Joe Flacco have time back then, he was going to find someone and make a money throw. And that was just so huge. And I feel like Burke was at the center of that for sure, being kind of the the resident vet kind of, you know, leader of that group. Uh, so he was definitely one for me. And I don't think the Ravens win the Super Bowl without him. And I think that he kind of gets forgotten a little bit. He did play for both purple teams in the NFL, and people probably remember him more for what he did on the Vikings and the Ravens. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and you make the point that they probably don't win the Super Bowl without him in 2012. I totally agree with that. And I think it is 100% underscored by the fact that he retired that offseason. And the next year they had Gino Gradkowski, who, you know, just could. He was, was not that he, he was a turnstile. I mean, he was too small. He couldn't stop anyone. Uh, one of the main reasons why Flacco had that dip in form in 2013, the year after the Super Bowl, they just didn't really do a whole lot to help him along, along the uh, interior of the O-line there. So, uh, yeah, Matt Burke, a very good pick there by you. Yes, sir. So my first guy, former second-round pick, very prolific player from a nearby school, drafted to address a lack of speed on offense. First three career receptions went for touchdowns of 74, 41, and 18 yards. His first three receptions. And were those all in the same game? They were. It was uh, James Torrey Smith against the, again, the St. Louis Rams getting a lot of pop today. So drafted to, you know, add speed to the offense. They've been predicated on all these possession guys like Anquan Bolden, who was still there. Derek Mason had just left. And then like, you know, he has that big game, but the first two games of his career, he really didn't do anything. And it's the Ravens. So, like, the fact that they draft this guy who's kind of not producing, you know, all the 105.7 talking heads are kind of getting into it. But he has that big game. And then November 6th that year, 2011, really solidifies himself when they have that long drive against the Steelers in Heinz Field. Uh, he, you know, he gets behind Ike Taylor. Flacco throws it to him. He drops it. Then he lines up on the other side of the field, very same play. He catches it for the win with however many few seconds left. So that really, for me, like solidified him. I don't know what your thoughts were uh, after that game, if you can even remember, really. I have maybe the most interesting experience possible with that situation in that game. Um, I had been, I was a freshman in college. I was pledging a fraternity. Yeah, I think I've heard this story, actually, but for, for the listeners. I forgot. So I'll try to keep it very brief. So good Lord, Samson. Uh, so I am upstairs in the kind of main fraternity house that we would do our pledge events in. And my pledge dad, whose name I won't mention, was letting me watch the game. There was like two other kids in my pledge class. I think we had 23 kids. Uh, two other kids that were big time Ravens fans 
watching the game and this game is taking forever on Sunday night. Uh, my pledge class didn't meet our quotas and things we were supposed to get done that week. So we knew it was going to be a shitty night. And this is right. Like at the turning point of the Ravens where Flacco started to really fuck the Steelers up like consistently after they were just crushing him his first couple seasons. So it's like, I think there's like probably two minutes left in the game. And like all the other brothers in the house and all the other pledges are like, what the fuck? Like make everybody get down in the basement. And I'm like looking at my, my pledge dad. And I'm like, please let me, please let me finish this game. Like, please. And he's like, Spencer, get in the basement. And I was like, Oh my God. So we ended up having one of my pledge brothers quit that night. Um, we actually like, I think we tried to drive to his like house and get him. And like the, his, his mom, it was like, I'm going to call the cops if you guys come here. So we were like, convince the brothers. They're like, all right, we're going to go get this kid. We'll call him John. We're going to go to get John. We're going to make sure he doesn't quit. Like, we don't want him to quit. So the brothers are like, all right, go fucking get him then. And we go drive. And then we're like, we fail miserably at that. And we're on our way back. And we uh, are like, oh, great. Well, we miserably failed at that. They're going to be pissed, which absolutely happened. So we're just getting absolutely ransacked by the brothers in the basement, like push-ups, eating a bunch of nasty shit, like whatever. And then finally, my pledge dad like comes downstairs and he's like, you know, you guys fucked up and I'm extra mad because I just had to watch the Ravens blow like a uh, opportunity to win a game in Pittsburgh. You guys know how big of a Ravens fan I am. So I'm pissed just alone off of that. And you guys are blah, blah, blah. blah. So I'm like, oh my God, the Ravens lost. Like, this sucks. Like, oh, like now they're four and three or something or three and four. They're like third in the division. The Steelers have a three game lead. The Steelers are really good. Like, shit. It's like Ray Lewis is getting old. Ed Reed is getting old. Like, this is not good to be at this point. So I'm just like just covered in muck doing push ups and shit. And I was like, so miserable. Get out of the pledge event, go on my phone. Torrey Smith catches touchdown, game winner. He just lied to us specifically to really fuck with me because he knew how big of a Ravens fan I was. And I was like the only like one that would care that much. So I get out and I was just like, you son of a bitch. Like uh, I was miserable for hours when I get out and I was just like, it was all better because of that. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely, uh, as soon as you started getting into it, I was like, yeah, I think you probably told me that after we'd had about five beers at a tailgate at some point. Um, but yeah, it's good to get that out on the airwaves, but yeah. So he has that game that really, for me, I was like, this guy is going to be legit. Um, not that I kind of didn't already believe that, but that was like the first really clutch play. So goes on 50 catches that year in 2011, 841 yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, that was then a record for a Ravens rookie receiver. It's since then been matched by Marquise Brown and Marquise Brown and, uh, Chris, not Chris Moore, uh, the Clarence Moore, Marlon Brown. Marlon. Alan Brown is more a tall receiver. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So very statistically similar season the next year in 2012, his sophomore year. Um, but, you know, he has that emotional week three game against the Patriots played immediately after the death of his brother played a massive role in a comeback win. Six catches, 127 yards, two touchdowns, that kind of late touchdown that sort of gets them back into it. Uh, they go in to kick the game winner. Pretty sick. Uh, that was one of my favorite games of the decade, probably. Then they go on to win the Super Bowl that year. He plays a huge role in that with a career game in Denver against the Broncos. Burns Champ Bailey for two long scores, had another, I think, decent catch. And uh, yeah, they go on to win the Super Bowl in 2012. Thanks partially to uh, his effort there uh, as a sophomore receiver. Absolutely. And he came in, I mean... Flacco loved him off the bat, and it was really just a lot of deep stuff, a lot of comebacks, 95 targets his rookie year, which is a lot, 110, 137, then 92 again. Um, scored, let's see, 15, 19, 30 touchdowns. Or wait, excuse me, 15, yeah, 30 touchdowns in his four seasons in Baltimore. Constantly just pushing over top. Flacco threw such a nice little pass interference ball. I remember seeing statistics back then in those years like that Joe Flacco's defensive pass interference called against out like outnumbered any other team in the league like didn't have comparable team pass interference against stats uh it was it was just corners had to grab him he just was a freaking track star down the sideline 
And at Maryland, he was so awkward. He used to always, like, when he catches the ball, he still would do it in Baltimore, but just didn't drop that many passes as opposed to at Maryland. But, like, he always had his hands so wide and kind of, like, clapped the ball together always. And it always looks so strange. But, yeah, Torrey Smith, I think that it was just so messed up with the Ravens organization after signing Flacco to that big deal. And I think they just panicked so much about that defensive exodus with Paul Kruger leaving, Ray Lewis leaving, Ed Reed leaving. I mean, 15 guys leave off the defense, whatever. Ellerby, like all these guys, um, Upshaw, and I think Jared Johnson too? No. He was, uh, I, I think, a little bit before that. Yeah, he had already gone. Yeah. Okay. But so many guys leave off the defense, and, and so the Ravens panicked. I guess Ozzie Newsom from the front office is like, shit, we have to buy a new defense you end up seeing Anquan Bolden go. Torrey Smith plays like one or two, I guess, two more years, but he ends up leaving. Um, and then they try to draft, you know, a replacement in Brashad Perriman that was just, they're like, all right, this guy has a similar skill set to Torrey Smith. You know, maybe Flacco will get along with him. And we all know how that story went. So it was just unfortunate that they ended up letting him go after an 11 touchdown year, which I think was the yeah, most so that, since so- Michael Jackson. 90s. Yeah, yeah, it was 2014, and that was Kubiak. They bring in him to kind of revamp the run game and get that play-action passing game going, and that was really critical for Torrey. We mentioned uh, Steve Smith earlier. That was the same year they brought him in, so Smith kind of comes in as that possession guy that they were missing in 2013. He starts to clear things out underneath for Torrey, and it was an interesting year for him in 2014. I think he got off to, like, a rough start, and uh, again, those you know talking heads kind of, you know, clamoring about it a little bit but like you mentioned he finishes with a career best 11 touchdowns that regular season and then he caught a touchdown in the playoffs too against the Steelers he had that one where Flacco kind of scrambled and like juked out James Harrison and uh hit Torrey in the corner of the end zone that was his last touchdown as a Raven uh you know they lose in the divisional round that deep ball kind of going his way gets picked off that was way more on Flacco than it was on him receives a five-year yeah, receives a five-year, $40 million contract from the Niners. I think only like $23 million guaranteed. But they kind of choose Jimmy Smith over him. You know, they give that money to Smith, keep him around. I think probably the right decision. But I think ultimately based on that situation, sort of playing it out the way it did, and maybe some of his contributions weren't totally consistent, I think he's maybe remembered as like, maybe not to Ravens fans, but to people around the league and fans of other teams is maybe kind of a forgettable player. But uh, I think he was uh, anything but that here. I think very memorable, uh, you know, made a lot of impact both on and off the field. And uh, just, you know, happy to see him sort of get his due when he retired and he came back to hang out and, you know, watch a practice. And uh, I'm very hopeful that he's going to get involved with the organization in some capacity moving forward here. Yeah, Tory holds us. I feel like he holds a special place in the heart of Ravens fans. Very Baltimore kind of guy. The whole situation with his brother that came against the Patriots was just a definition of endearing and uh, an all-time moment in Ravens history. <clears throat> and it was unfortunate to see him go. Um, his wife did absolutely rip my heart out because I was like 17 years old or 18 years old in Towson Town Center. Oh, this is and asked, this is like one of the few times i've ever asked any celebrity for a picture because i love tory smith and his wife was just like really you're gonna do this to us right now you're gonna make me take a picture of you and i was like oh oh, never mind bye 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 (laughs) chanel shout out to her i think she's uh look at him getting into the podcasting game too sort of coming for our next a little bit i think his wife uh hosts that with him trending thoughts with tory smith yeah yes that is it he was actually just talking about did you hear that clip he posted about with when he was interviewing Anquan Bolden? I had never heard Anquan that, that excited about anything, just roasting him up. Torrey Smith basically is running around on the sideline like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, and Anquan Bolden looks at him, he's like, what's wrong, bro? And he's like, I can't find my helmet. And it, Anquan said that he just saw the panic in Torrey's eyes. And Anquan just looked him in his eyes and he was like, really? You can't find your helmet? Tory Smith just taps his head and is like, it's on my head. I have my helmet on my head. Okay, I'm good. Um, funny little giggles out of that. So awesome. He also does that uh, that charity basketball event in Rofo Arena, Royal Farms Arena, and he's been doing that for quite some time. And I know that that actually is a really good event and, and helps out the inner city like kids that need all that assistance and stuff a ton. Um, I know that my old roommate, 
who's in a big brother, little brother program, used to take his little brother guy there and they would have a blast and Tori Smith and everyone would treat them really well and make sure they had a great day. So definitely a, a Baltimore guy through and through, a Maryland guy through and through and glad to see him, like you said, hopefully ending up with a role in the organization at some point. Yeah, definitely. You got to think he is. And uh, yeah, it's just all that stuff. Really good player. Just embrace the team and the city in a way that not a lot of guys uh, do for anywhere, let alone a small market kind of team like this. But uh, yeah, so he's my first one. Do you have any more or was it just uh, our boy Matt? I've got uh, another offensive lineman, Ben Grubbs, coming in out of Auburn. Great name. I think that he, yeah, such a football uh, he was drafted, I think, with the 29th overall pick, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, dude was ne- he was never like a holy shit. Everyone needs to drop what they're doing and watch Ben Grubbs. He's an incredible guard, or like Nelson or something. But just came in and, and started. I think 12 games his rookie year. Ends up starting uh, through his fifth year, 16 games every year until 2011, where he only started 10 due to injury. Uh, ends up signing with the Saints, and I think that he just kind of gets forgotten a little bit. He left the season before the Super Bowl, actually. <clears throat> I believe the Ravens opted to maybe pay Yonda or something. I can't quite remember. Uh, and then yeah, they drafted them the same year, yeah, 2007. So. Right. Uh, I think they just kind of opted to go with Yonda a little bit more. But Grubbs ended up, I mean, he had a year in 2014, his second to last year. He was one of three offensive linemen to not allow a sack. On uh, all of the NFL, they that had over 600 passing, pass blocking snaps. He was just really solid and was a big part of you know that Ray Rice rushing success a couple years. And Ray Rice had that 2,000 yard scrimmage year. I feel like Ben Grubbs is a uh, kind of stable player that was just consistently good, working downhill, coming out of Auburn, and really got forgotten in the fold there. And they did have some really good offensive lines leading up until that Super Bowl year, which is just laughable because their offensive line just really sucked on ice until right before the playoffs that last like month of the season. And then all of a sudden McKinney comes in and, and everything just slotted into place. But um, I think Grubbs has forgotten. He was a good first round pick started his rookie year, you know, never was a weak point on the line. And I think he's just one of the kind of the forgotten names in Baltimore. Definitely. It's one of those situations where you're maybe overshadowed by a guy who was drafted the same year as you. So they get him in the first round in 07, two rounds later in the third Thanks to some of their connections with Kirk Ferentz, they, you know, got a hold of tape on Marshall Yonda, and they're like, we're going to go ahead and grab this guy in the third round, too, to pair up with Grubbs, and he just winds up being the better player. But uh, that's not to say that Grubbs was not a really good player in his own right, so uh, good to see him getting a little bit of love there as well. It's kind of similar to the Hayden Hurst-Mark Andrews thing. Uh, Hurst obviously gets shipped off a little bit earlier than Grubbs did, uh, but that's just kind of the nature of the way offensive line versus tight end works. Uh, but yeah, just uh, an interesting sort of situation there. Uh, my second and only other guy is a defensive guy. I think this one may be a little difficult for you. So this guy was another 2007 draft pick, a fifth rounder to the Chicago Bears in 2007. So he's with them for five years, becomes a free agent. And he chooses to sign with the Ravens, a decision that he would later describe to be the second best of his entire life behind only marrying his wife. Chicago Bears, 2007. Wait, repeat the last part you said. So he signed with the Ravens in 2012, a decision that he would later describe to be the second best of his entire life only after marrying his wife. Who played for the... Corey Graham? It's Corey Graham. So, like I said, he was in Chicago for, you know, five years or whatever, and the fact that he kind of says that thing about it being the second best decision of his entire life, he was with the Ravens for two years, 2012 and 2013. He was with other teams for much longer. He also played for the Bills and the Eagles, but... So he signs with the Ravens in 2012. He wants to see a little bit more time on defense. He got some time on D in Chicago. I think he actually made a Pro Bowl as a defensive guy, but he was mainly a special teamer as well. Just always really solid. But yeah, like he signs with the Ravens wanting to get a little bit more time. But that was kind of going to be tough that year because if you you know kind of forget maybe that their cornerback group was looking pretty nasty that year. You had Lardarius Webb. You had Jimmy Smith, who was sort of starting to come into his own a little bit. He was a sophomore that year. And then, you know, you have Kerry Williams in the mix as well. So 
definitely a deep group. Um, that changes. I mean, Webb tears his ACL in a week six game against the Cowboys, which was one of the more awesome games I've ever attended. But Lord Arias getting hurt was not a part of that. And Jimmy Smith, he was just kind of, you know, he's always struggled with injuries, but particularly early on in his career, he really struggled to stay on the field. So he kind of got, you know, threw into the mix midseason there. Yeah, Corey Graham ends up, I mean, picking off Peyton Manning and winning that damn game. I mean, that ended up being a Justin Tucker kick. Great play by Corey Graham. Manning was just falling apart late in that game, and he was truly another, yet again, guy that contributed, was solid as hell, and able to come in and and help win that Super Bowl. Yeah, so it's the 2012 divisional round you're talking about, and you mentioned that pick of Peyton Manning. So... I think that was like a third and three play. Manning's getting chased by Kruger, runs to the right, throws back to his left as sort of that first overtime is ending. Graham picks him off. And uh, yeah, you're right. That sets up the uh, very next drive. The Ravens march down the field and kick that 47-yarder with Tucker. But Graham also had a pick six in the first quarter of that game. So pretty damn solid. But Right, and I think that quickly negated, because Trenton Holiday had two return touchdowns that game. He might be one of the most underappreciated like players in general by any team ever. Un- unreal returner for a couple of years. Uh, but Corey Graham was able to negate one of those and kind of cancel it out. And then I think Torrey Smith was Tory was it Torrey Smith first, then Corey Graham on the pick six, or was it the other way around? I think it was the other way around, potentially, because that kind of turned the momentum for them a little bit because like you mentioned, Holiday returned the punt. Uh, early on and that's sort of like uh, here we go like the momentum is going all their way and then uh, yeah man just absolutely turned the game with that pick six it got deflected I believe by it might have been another d-back I forget but it was like a pass for kind of Eric Decker and you know it just gets tipped up there he grabs it and houses it and uh, it's game on and like we mentioned with Tory, Tory went off in that game as well uh, probably the best game in Ravens history but uh, yeah he was a huge part of it they go on to win the Super Bowl, uh, partially thanks to him and uh, his contributions. He was also good in the next two games that they played. But 2013, it's easy to forget. Um, really, really good year for him. Ravens went 8-8 eight and eight that year, as we've been kind of touching on. But his stat line was pretty damn good. Four interceptions, 12 passes defensed, a forced fumble, a sack, which came from five tackles for loss and 56 solo tackles. Pretty good year. Pretty good year for sure. Um, but And then that ends up tying into another one from that Super Bowl team that I was going to mention is Paul Kruger. Kruger was a damn nightmare off the edge in the playoffs. I believe ended up with seven sacks over his final like six games or something to end the season. I think he had four in the playoffs, so I'm not mistaken. And just another classic Raven in that long line of guys who end up having a monster year and a contract year on the Ravens defense, and then getting a ton of money, CJ Mosley, Kruger, Pernell McPhee, Arthur Jones. Um, I mean, you can even throw in some offensive linemen in there. Osemele, Rick Wagner, Ryan Jensen, all those guys that just really, I mean, Jensen's still a damn good center. Um, I don't think Wagner has quite performed up to his contract. Jensen had a nice little, uh, Jensen had a nice little Tom Brady anecdote on Twitter. Uh, It was either today or yesterday. I saw that, the folded towel thing. I'm going to have to try that next time I play golf. For sure, especially down there in Tampa. But, yeah, Kruger was, I mean, another one of those guys that they don't win the Super Bowl without him, and that's just why that team was so weird and the, that playoff run was so strange. Kind of, It's the same way that the Giants won Super Bowls. Just all of a sudden things click and guys make plays, and Kruger was a force, and, and you just talk, mentioned him. Uh, you know, forcing Peyton Manning to throw off his back foot and try and get rid of the ball third and three, you know, games on the line. They definitely don't want to give the ball to the Ravens there. Um, ends up with a Corey Graham interception. And another guy on that same team uh, is Courtney Upshaw to me. And he came in. He never was a huge sack guy or anything of the sort, but he was just a brick shit house as an edge defender. And to have him with Kruger and with Suggs and, uh, don't I think him and Jared Johnson did overlap at one point, but Upshaw came in and played. Uh, I believe it was sixty-eight percent of defensive snaps as a rookie, and then that Super Bowl season played seventy-three, which is a lot for an edge defender. And I remember he was the one that was actually making like the like he wasn't calling the defense, he, the, like the plays in the huddle or whatever, but he was the one that was communicating 
from the defensive front to the linebackers and to the secondary. And he was moved around a ton. Um, so Upshaw ends up going to Atlanta, gets a big contract as well. Doesn't quite do as well, but I was a big Courtney Upshaw guy. He was just a monster. Yeah, those two guys came in, and uh, I think, you know, for Ravens fans that were coming up in that next generation, maybe after the early 2000s, we kind of looked at it as, you know what, this is our next Terrell Suggs and Jarek Johnson duo. And uh, I think based upon the way things had gone in college, it was like, okay, well, you know, Upshaw is going to be the pass rusher a la Suggs, and then Kruger is going to be more of our run-stuffer type guy a la Jarek Johnson, actually wound up sort of working out the other way around. But, yeah, two very uh, good players in their own right there. I was sad to see Paul Kruger go because uh, he was so instrumental in that Super Bowl run. And Upshaw kind of the same way, not as flashy, but a uh, great run-stuffing player. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought them up. Those are two guys that uh, people are maybe easily going to forget about. And, you know, Kruger may be a little bit of a punchline going getting that big contract with the Browns. But, uh, yeah, ultimately uh, just, you know, holds a, a special place in my heart from that 2012 playoff run. Yep, and then I know Kyle definitely wanted us to mention, he said, what's up, boys? He's on a homework break right now. He wanted us to mention Daryl Smith, who uh, hit in Elvis Dumerville both. The whole facts incident with Dumerville, Dumerville actually replaced Paul Kruger essentially for way less money and then dominated production-wise with the Ravens all-time uh, single-season sack record. Those two guys coming to Baltimore and playing with some younger guys just provided such a stable little defensive core after that Super Bowl. And I, I thought, I mean, I don't understand how Suggs and Duke ended up winning a Super Bowl together. They were a nightmare. That was when Suggs Lewis, like, this is my team, and really, like, trying to shine and prove that he could do it without them, and he did. And then Dumerville was just, I think, 11 and a half of his sacks came on third down. Like, that is ridiculous. And... Those guys were an absolute nightmare, and it was just a shame. There were so many good components of that the, the that like post Super Bowl team that just couldn't quite fit everything together. Still, um, Daryl Smith came in and he allowed C.J. Mosley to run around a little bit more, and that's when I feel like C.J. Mosley, when he was a rookie, had his actual best season in Baltimore. He was like really thin and lean, kind of looked like Darius Leonard a little bit. I feel like he was a little bit more able in coverage early on in his career. Uh, Mosley had a monster, I think like a five and a half sack and maybe four interception rookie year. And have to think that Daryl Smith is pivotal in that Smith was just in the wash, in the mud, making sure nothing big happened, had a couple plays in coverage. I think he had like five or six pass deflections, um, coming from Jag, the Jacksonville Jaguars, where he's a monster, one of the most under heralded players for years and years there. I mean, he was a top five tackler in the NFL, always a rock solid linebacker. Um, kind of reminds me of Demario Davis now as a guy who could really do it all, but especially was a downhill thumper and maybe never gets a ton of recognition. Uh, CJ Mosley had two picks, eight passes, eight passes defended was a lot, three sacks, 133 tackles. So I exaggerated a little bit there, but yeah, it's Mosley not even just the statistics though. I mean, he's had statistically great seasons that like maybe he gets lost in the wash with coverage stuff here and there. So I do think you make a strong point and you know, he, if not for, I think it was Aaron Donald that year, he definitely would have been the defensive rookie of the year. Uh, he was off to a tremendous start in that respect. I think he was getting kind of all the votes around midseason, but Donald just sort of blew up for the Rams down the stretch, so they gave it to him. But, uh, yeah, you make a strong point there. And uh, ultimately, um, yeah, Daryl Smith, just a guy that I absolutely loved. I remember not even really knowing too much about him when they signed him, but everyone's like, this guy is really good. He's just been kind of toiling away on the Jags for however long he had been there. And uh, yeah, he just slots right in. Um, and like you said, he said, he just did all the dirty work. He was also sneaky, really good in coverage. He would break a lot of passes up and uh, yeah, just a very fun linebacker to watch. And uh, one of those kind of underrated uh, Aussie pickups that people aren't really going to talk about, but uh, just underscored how good he was with the uh, so pro Darryl personnel. Smith, his first season in Baltimore had 18 pass deflections. Yeah. 18. He also had that pick six eight. against the Texans, and I think that was the first or maybe the second home game of the year when he picked off Schaub, and I think he started the Matt Schaub pick six streak. Unreal. He did. You're right about that. He had five forced fumbles as well. Um, seven over his first two seasons. He actually led the NFL in forced fumbles in 2014. Ends up playing three years in Baltimore. 103 tackles, 127 tackles, 121 tackles. Uh, so that 
371, I believe. Uh, eight, nine sacks, seven forced fumbles, 26 pass deflections over his first two years out of this world. I actually never saw that until right now. Also had uh, 15 quarterback hits, so was one of the very best inside linebackers in football during his time in Baltimore. Uh, Steve Smith coming in, too. A lot of guys came to try and you know and see if the Ravens could make another run. And if it wasn't for that damn Tom Brady. Uh, who he damn, picked off in that game. Who Daryl Smith intercepted in the Deflategate yes. game. In the Deflategate game. Um, One of the potential uh, whistleblowers, some people have said. That was the most mad I've ever been for like the Patriots game the year before was it 2011 in the playoffs in 2011. I was upset that Cundiff missed like that game hurt me. I was livid, angry, like disruptive, mad. I was at a work party for, I used to work at the QG downtown, which is a department. I had to leave because I was going to embarrass myself. I was raging. They're they're running this whole like uh, it was a upscale event at a, I think I can't remember it's more hotel and everyone's like casually watching the game. I'm like sick vision, like cussing under my breath, and I'm watching them run unbalanced like offset lines and freaking Julian Edelman throwing a 60 yard touchdown over Kerry Williams, and I was just like, Ugh. it made me so mad. Yeah, that was a tough one, but uh, yeah, probably the last really notable game of Daryl Smith's Ravens career because 2015 wasn't really much of a factor because nobody was much of a factor on that team, but uh, yeah, you know, awesome linebacker, like you mentioned, one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL when he was in Baltimore, very underrated player, and that's a great call by Kyle. Unfortunately, he couldn't be on this one because he had some uh, homework stuff going on, but uh Ultimately, yeah, great pick there. And uh, if he was, in fact, one of the Deflategate whistleblowers, uh, I'm pretty happy about that because it's one of the uh, funnier controversies I can remember in sports. <laughs> really is. And the, the check and John Harbaugh has to be so real. has to be so, so, so real. Um, the last guy for me, I guess, that like really sticks out is Trevor Price, who is another Bronco, similar to Elvis Dumerville, comes from Denver, uh, ends up after 30. He was 31 when he landed in Baltimore. I remember him having a monster blocked kick in Tennessee. Uh, he ended up having a pretty decent sack years. I mean, his first year, he had 13, ended up having six and a half one year, four and a half another. But his first year was, was just totally dominant 23 quarterback hits, 12 tackles for loss. Uh, was a force to be reckoned with on that 2006 defense. A guy who was a first round pick, or just just another classic Raven that comes after you know their second contract runs out, ends up in Baltimore trying to win a ring and gets very close, but does not get all the way. Yeah, definitely. Trevor Price, really underrated player as well, and uh, was he your last guy? Yeah, that was the last one. Leron McLean was also on my team. I'll throw him. Yeah, definitely. We should get him in there, Leron. Having some uh, some struggles um, recently, you could uh, see last year by some of the stuff that he was posting on social media. You really do hope that he's doing okay now, and it seems like maybe uh, he has you know sought help and you know got you know some of the stuff that he needed to uh, address uh, what he had been dealing with post playing career because fullback, you know, you're a banger in there. You get physically beat up. You know, maybe that wears on you mentally a little bit. So hopefully he has turned things around. Really underrated, awesome player too. Had the long run against the Cowboys that will always be remembered in Ravens fame. For sure. But yeah, over the years, I mean, a lot of underheralded guys. I mean, the other quick ones. The one guy who is who is called underrated so many times that I think he's overrated is Kelly Gregg. Everyone loved to talk about Buddy Lee and how underrated he was, but he was not underrated. If there was a damn game on, who are they talking about? Buddy Lee. Um, they, they were talking about Ray Lewis and then Kelly Gregg able to disrupt things and was you know a national championship wrestler or whatever he was at Oklahoma and a bunch of fun stuff like that. So he was also another one. Uh, maybe Jermaine Lewis. Jermaine Lewis maybe kind of older, and but he was an electric playmaker. And yeah, that's uh, some of the guys that come to mind for me. Definitely, and uh, in that same mold, you could maybe say somebody like Jacoby Jones, but I think he was uh, a star that burned bright and uh, not very long, and uh, yeah, we love sure. him too. 
But yeah, there's just a million guys that you could really mention in a category like this. It's a ton of fun. Maybe we'll have to revisit it. Uh, we got a lot of really positive feedback on the what if segment. People maybe want us to bring that back at some point. So yeah, maybe we could make these some uh, recurring things, uh, you know, that we, we do on the show here. Um, especially, you know, now that we're very much in a nebulous area as to knowing when we're going to be getting concrete content to cover. So yeah, this was a fun one for sure. Underappreciated guys. Underappreciated guys, Matt Stover, last one. Okay, I like that one too. Uh, but yeah, should we get out of here? Let's get out of here. Okay, really appreciate you guys listening, tuning in on YouTube if you did, listening to the podcast uh, otherwise. Uh, if you liked what you heard, you can go ahead and follow us. Follow me uh, on Twitter at Jake Luke. that's L-O-U. QUE, you can follow Spencer at Ravens for Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. You can follow the show at Podcast Beatdown, where I do a lot of my football tweeting. Try to be as active on my personal account as possible. It's kind of tough to balance the two, but, uh, you know, just doing my best out here. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening. Please subscribe to the show if you're not already. Leave us a five star rating and review. Got some really good uh, five star reviews the last couple days that I was talking about on Twitter a few days ago. Um, really appreciate that from you guys. Really just makes my day. So go ahead and keep doing that. Give me the warm, fuzzy vibes. I need them right now in quarantine. But uh, appreciate you guys listening and uh, peace out. See ya. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs>